Welcome to another episode of Reggae Uprising podcast. Now, in October in the UK, it is Black History Month. So to celebrate this with all of you uh, throughout October for this podcast, I'm going to be doing the Reggae Uprising Black History Month special. Now, to my regular listeners, you know by now that this podcast is all about connecting people of the diaspora through wisdom, understanding, inspiration and some sweet reggae music. Like I said, though, we're doing something a little bit different for October to celebrate Black History Month. Um, So all throughout October, we're going to be focusing on different subjects. Today's subject is the history of reggae music. You know, we have to start off with that. And um, like I said, every Wednesday throughout October, we're going to be focusing on a different subject. The format is going to be a little bit different as normally my guest would pick seven reggae selections um, that are inspirational to them or they have some kind of story connected to them. The format's going to be a little bit different throughout October, but I wanted to make sure I try and get in as much information as possible into a one hour show or there around about. Now, before everybody says, well, you can't get all that information in one show about the history of reggae. I know, I know, I know, I know. The best I can do for a one hour show is just get an overview of the chosen subject. And if you want to hear more on that subject at a later date, please get in touch. So all you need to do to let me know your thoughts and if you would like to hear more on my chosen subject throughout our Black History Month specials is contact me via any of my social media. So that's Daniil Music or you can contact me via my contact page on daniel.co.uk. I will leave those links in the descriptions for you. Also, um, changes to my regular weekly shows. So my other two shows, which aren't audio, they are video, um, is Reggae Uprising every Monday and Reggae Uprising Selector, which is every Friday. Those are going to be slightly changed as well. Well, actually changed quite a lot. Um, So I'm not going to tell you what's going on with them. In fact, no, 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 I will, I will, I will. So last year, what I did for Black History Month is every single day of October, I covered a new song that was all about empowerment, inspiration, um, or were anthems for our community. And obviously, you know, I had to regify them. Um, So obviously, they they were all videos. So what I've decided to do this year in replacement of my regular Monday shows and my regular Friday shows is squish three songs into one episode for you uh, to take you on a little journey with me. And you know, because I've got so many more people supporting me this year than last year, I wanted to kind of share those works with all of you and get some feedback and let me know, you know, your thoughts and my little remixes and um, let me know your favourite tune out of the three for each episode and let me know, you know, if you can, you have any connections with those songs as well because there's there are some great works that um I've showcased there. So I hope you do enjoy them. Uh, If you want to get caught up on those shows, like I said, every Monday and Friday throughout October, all you need to do is go to my social media, Daniil Music or daniil.co.uk. 
Right, I think I have talked enough, and it's about time we had some reggae music. So to start off this reggae uprising podcast, Black History Month special, the history of reggae. Yeah, we're gonna start off with a tune, Toots and Matels, do the reggae. I am honoured to welcome producer and sound engineer from Delamix, who has worked with John Holt, Alton Ellis, Dennis Brown, Sugar Miner, Johnny Osborne, Horace Andy, Earl 16, Anthony Johnson, Luciano, Frankie Paul, Freddie McGregor, Tyrone Taylor, Laurel Aiken, and Maccabee, to name but a few. Ooh, let me catch my breath. <laughs> I would like to welcome from Delamix, Kevin Delahaye, 
aka Dicky. Greetings and welcome, Dicky. Yeah, greetings. I'm so happy that I managed to get you. I know that you're always, always, always busy. I'm so happy that I managed to get you for this episode for the history of reggae because you have a wealth of knowledge on this subject, and I can't wait for you to share these little snippets that we're gonna gonna try and squeeze into this show um, today. Right, let's get started, shall we? So we're gonna start off with. Um, can you give us any insight, any knowledge about the first reggae artist? How reggae music came about? What did it? What what genres did it evolve from? Well, reggae really, it's like the journey of like Caribbean music which really started in Africa so it's the the music really was the drum and people used to communicate through the drum send messages through the drum and through the drum came different genres of music so when people got to the Caribbean they used the drum they created music and after that came mental you had the calypso which then evolved into ska, which then evolved into rocksteady, which then evolved into reggae, which then evolved into what they call dancehall music now, which has evolved into other genres. Okay, so who were the, the front runners in reggae? Like, who were the people that, you, that would be argued that started it? And, and if there are any arguments about who started it, what are they? Again, a lot of the front runners in reggae were reggae evolved out through the ska. So a lot of the ska artists they slowed down the ska and then they became rock steady and then they slowed down the rock steady a little bit more to become reggae. So a lot of the forerunners in reggae were actually the ska artists who like evolved from ska into reggae. And the actual term reggae, I don't know who actually originated it, but the first kind of recording kind of mentioned reggae was Toots and the Maytals um, do the reggae. It's accredited to them. Okay. So who who would you say were the other, you know, instrumental scat artists that that were part of that movement from scat to reggae? A lot of them, um, like you had scat artists that evolved what are the big names that you everybody would know, like Jim Cliff, Bob Marley, um, who else is there? Toots and the Matos. S K A Ska.
or were they um, cover songs? If you look at through the whole of the history of like Caribbean music and especially like the reggae, the ska, the, um, even the, the mento, the calypso, the reggae, um, the music was always like social commentary. So if you wanted to know what was happening on the island, you'd listen to the songs because everybody made a song about something that was happening. So something that was current, somebody made a song about it. So some of the songs were original. And some of the songs were like cover versions of um, American songs. A lot of the artists used to listen to like the American rhythm and blues, um, the, the, um, the soul artists from America. So a lot of the early reggae were like actually cover versions of, you had groups like the Delphonics, the Shy Lights, you had um, the and Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions. Um, a lot of groups like that, they that um, copied the song. So a lot of songs that people probably knew and thought were original songs were actually cover versions of those artists. Okay, can you give us any examples of um, songs that maybe were um, made popular as reggae songs um, or they might have started off as a soul song and then they uh, were covered and made into a reggae song or they might have even started off as a reggae tune, weren't that popular and then somebody's re- redone the the reggae tune um, again as a reggae tune um, and it's become a chart topper so nobody actually remembers the original. Can you give us any examples of that? Well, a lot of the, especially like the, reggae, the hits that were like big in the 70s, the reggae hits, a lot of them were actual cover versions of um, soul songs. So you had songs like um, Young, Gifted and Black, which was um, a cover version. Um, Ken Booth had a hit with Everything I Own, which was another cover version of a pop song. John Holt done a whole album, um, Thousand Volts of Holt, which were all cover versions of pop songs. But John Holt actually wrote The Tide Is High, which was his song, which Blondie had a number one hit with. Again, Errol Dunkley had a big hit with um, OK Fred, which again was another John Holt song.
even a lot of the old, like, Studio One recording songs, which I always grew up thinking that they were, like, original songs. And later on, I got to find out, hold on, all of these songs are um, cover versions of um, American soul songs. Um, especially, like, Curtis Mayfield. I think the whole of Curtis Mayfield's catalogue is being redone in reggae. So, um, yeah, quick songs like uh, Minstrel and Queen. You had um, Gypsy Woman. Even Bob Marley's One Love. The original lyrics, if Bob Marley's put one love, one heart, let's get together and feel all right on it. But the rest of the lyrics is um, Curtis Mayfield's People Get Ready. There ain't no room for the hopeless sinner. Chances grow thinner, for there's no hiding place against the kingdom's throne. So people get ready, there's a train of coming. You don't need no baggage, you just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the Jesus You just thank the Lord. Um, there's another Curtis Mayfield song, Ten to One, which was um, another Studio One classic. Um, there's just so many of them which were cover versions of soul songs. John Holt's I Need a Love I Can Feel is, um, a, a, I think, a Motown song. I think it's like The Temptation or The Four Tops, A Love I Can See. Um, if I Were a Carpenter is another, I think, Four Tops. There's just so many of them. The list just goes on. Okay. So would you say there are any um, prolific songwriters in reggae, just purely um, reggae artists that are just songwriters? Yeah, there's a lot of songs, a lot of like um, Tootsie songs were original, Bob Marley, well everybody knows Bob Marley's and majority of Bob Marley's songs were original, only like some of the older st stuff with the Wailers, they did a few cover versions in the early days, but Bob Marley's songs were original, Toots, there's a lot of um, artists who done a lot of original, um, a lot of original songs. There was a lot of um, good songwriters and um, people like Bob Andy. So not everyone did um, cover versions. But a lot of the really commercial ones that kind of went into the British charts, so a lot of them were cover versions of pop songs. In your opinion, why do you think that, that is then? Do you think they'd already been tried and tested, so that's why the artists or the labels kind of went with that format? I think really it's... <laughs> The companies that were behind this, they own the publishing, so they're going to make money back off the publishing because it's <laughs> a pop song instead of like a, an original reggae song. Even though there were a few original reggae songs that did go go in the charts, um, Janet Kay had a hit with uh, Silly Games, um, Dennis Brown, Money in My Pocket, um, Altie and Donna, Uptown Top Ranking, even though a lot of the lyrics was taken from um, Trinity's uh, Three Pieces. The sound scarlet tree piece suit and thing So love is all I bring So don't be like a puppet and a string 
So really, it just boils down to business. It's all about the business well, as, as to why. Business is business, isn't it? So when it's reggae, pop, whatever genre, it, it's business. Mm-hmm. I think people have this illusion with, um, because music makes us feel so good and it's all about the high vibrations and all of that, I think um, there is a kind of illusion against it that, you know, people forget about the business aspect of things and and how the music actually gets out to people and, you know, that it is an actual business and there's a lot of different people involved in the process, so... Like, um, like Bob Marley became the biggest known artist. Bob Marley's supposed to be now the most recognised face on the planet. But again, it's true business and Bob Marley had financial backing behind him to be able to reach where a lot of the other artists who... We're writing as good songs as Bob Marley, but they didn't have a financial backing behind them to promote their music like Bob Marley did. So in your opinion, why do you think that he had such support in, t- in terms of business, whereas those other artists didn't? Well, um, he had like a Island Records behind him, Chris Blackwell pushing him. So he, he had like a proper financial backing, so he could reach places where a lot of the other reggae artists who didn't have that kind of backing behind them wouldn't reach. Yeah, but what was it you think they saw in him that was so different? Why they backed him and not those other artists? Well, to tell you the truth, only Chris Blackwell could probably say um, say that. But um, Bob Marley had like a good work ethic and he took his music serious. So... Chris Blacker probably just went with that, but there was not. It's not like there were a lot of other artists that were good. They were just as talented. I'd say, but you know, they just didn't get that opportunity like Bob Marley. Right. Not that Bob Marley's songs weren't good, because Bob Marley wrote a lot of songs which 
but if you listen to Bob Marley's songs, they're really simple and anyone can relate to them. Mm-hmm. And he, he'll, he sings about a lot of um, life experiences where no matter something you're going to, you can listen to a Bob Marley song and, you know, it, 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 it rings a bell with something that's probably going on with your life. And I think that's what's made Bob Marley's music so sustainable in it because it relates to each generation. There's still something in his music that really relates to the next generation. understand reggae a little bit more um what would you say are the musical components of reggae music so what makes a reggae song different to a soul song a jazz song what are the the actual infrastructure of the music if you can explain that for us the heartbeat of of, of reggae is the drum and the bass and you know if if you're going back to your roots in africa you know the heartbeat is the drum (laughs) and it's the drum and the bass what actually drives the reggae whereas if you listen to rock it's the guitars (laughs) that drives the reggae. With reggae, it's the drum and the bass that drives it. With reggae, there's not just one style because you, you've got like, you got roots reggae, more, you got rubber dub reggae, you've got lover's rock, you got different <laughs> strands of reggae and each kind of strand of reggae will have a different type of beat. So it's not just one beat to reggae. What's been most popularized is like the one drop um, where the, the, you have the rim shot and the, the kick drum come down on the same beat so let's call it the one drop but it's not just that every reggae is going to have a one drop beat in it the, the, the beat's going to be different depending on the um, to the song the mood of the song so in terms of what you were just saying about those sub-genres they kind of evolve to create 
different moods depending on what you're singing about, the different vibe that you wanted to make? You know, roots music, where they're singing, a lot of the roots music was more influenced through the uh, Rasta movement in Jamaica. And it was more singing about, you know, black people returning back to Africa, singing more about your roots, being more proud of being a black person. So roots music was more speaking, more, it's more political. Whereas Lover's Rock was more love songs. You'd, you'd have like different tempos, like Rubber Dub is kind of slower. You'd have like, um, and a lot of the songs they'd be singing about anything that's happening in the um, Caribbean, in Jamaica especially. Everything they had a song about it. Anything that happened, <laughs> you've got a song about it. So you would know what was happening on the island just by listening to the music because somebody would make a song about anything. If you rewind back, even in Jamaica, like the main radio station had was like BBC, which played like the normal pop charts that you'd get in the UK. And then it changed to JBC and kind of still followed the same kind of trend. So a lot of the artists that were recorded on the island, their music wasn't really getting the proper airplay. So what really started to push the music was the sound system. So the sound systems evolved from like in the 60s in in Jamaica and they were playing the locally recorded music. So if you really wanted to hear the um, locally recorded music, you'd have to go to the dances and listen to them in the dance hall. So what they actually call dance hall now isn't what was dance hall back in the day because dance hall was the music that you'd, you'd have to go to the dance to hear the songs that you're not hearing on the radio. And then after... Re- they started recording music, you'd have the jukebox. So you'd go to the jukebox and you'd punch the songs and listen to the songs that you're not not getting on the radio. Mm. And a lot of the songs were talking about what was really happening on the island. So that music wasn't being played on the radio. So unless you're going to the dances or you're going and listening to the music on the jukeboxes or you're going to the sound system that were playing that music, that is how you really got to hear what was really happening. So I suppose it's a way of getting the gossip as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in terms of dance hall and um, recording in Jamaica, who were the front runners? Again, it was a lot of the sound system owners. They actually started to record artists to play onto their sound system. So you had like Studio One and Duke Reed were the two probably most known sound system that actually recorded a lot of artists, especially Studio One. A lot of art, Studio One is like the the Motown of um, reggae. So Studio One, Mr. Dad, Cox and Dad was a um, sound system owner who started to record artists to play on his sound system. And a lot of these, like John Holt and the, the Paragons came through there. Bob Marley was at Studio One for a time. He had artists like Bob Andy, um, well, you name it, everybody was there from Martha Griffiths and all the, the early Delroy Wilson, the family artists that you could go through, Dennis Brown, everybody was there and came to them. So that the music was actually really recorded for the sound system. And then after that, it was like mainly for, you could get it on the jukebox. And a lot of these songs became classics after. Okay, so the sound systems had a lot of power then in terms of what music became popular? Well, 
you didn't, you wasn't going to hear that music on the radio. So if, if the sound system, whatever the sound system played is what you was going to hear if you went to the dance. So it's either what was getting played on the radio or what the sound system was playing in the, in the dances. But as a fresh artist, your your first um, your first stepping stone, I suppose, would be get to to get played on the sound system, and then hopefully from that get to be on the radio. But in the early days, they had talent contests. Right. So then a lot of the sound system guys were scout artists from the talent contest, and if they liked somebody who they heard at the talent contest, then they'd bring them to the studio to record them. And then them recordings would get played on the sound system. And if it got popular on the sound system, it would get onto the radio. And it wouldn't be unusual to... What What are the youngest ages? And give me some examples of the artists that um, were pretty young when they did these talent shows and, and did their first albums and all of that. Majority of the artists who recorded were very, very young. Like, you're talking as young as 9, 10. Artists like Errol Dunkley... You know, was a, a young, young kid. Even Freddie McGregor was probably about, you know, 10, 11, right about that age when they started recording. Marcia Griffiths, um, Dennis Brown was about 12, 13 when he started recording. Um, Barry Simon even said, I think he was 11 when he made his first record. A lot of the artists were very young when they actually first started recording. And what would it, uh, well, from your knowledge, what, do you think it would have been like back then in terms of trying to get to record? When you're going back to the early days, it's not like now where everyone's got a laptop and a sound card and everyone said they can, they're a producer and can record somebody. There was very, very few studios. So to actually get into the studio, you'd need somebody who's going to finance you and bring you into the studio, which was not as easy as it, it, it would have been here. Because there one, there wasn't many studios, and there was so much competition with so many good artists. You were lucky if you got re- recorded. You'd have to be good. So that's why, because the, the competition was so steep. I think that's why the artists were so good. The artists were just on point. And remember, back in the day, it's not like you got now how you can record. A lot of the songs were recorded in one take. So if you made a mistake, you'd have to go back to the beginning and start again. And a lot of the artists, you know, I mean, it's a one take thing from the beginning to the end without making a mistake. And why was that? Why was it one take? Well, that, that was the only type of recording that they had. So not only did the singer sing at the same time, the band had to play the, the backing track at the same time. So you do one take without a... Um, without a mistake. But back in the day, they had like, it was like a two-track recording, then it went up to four, then eight. So in the early days, especially when they did Ska, a lot of it was one take. Imagine that now, imagine you go in the studio and you just got one chance and whatever, if it's a hit, you've got to, that's it for life. Like, whatever you recorded, <laughs> that's it. So there's no no computer, no nothing. It's a band, so you've got to get the musicians. The musicians have got to rehearse the song. You've got to rehearse your song and record it and you've got one take. So basically, us artists these days are just spoiled, completely spoiled. And and people like you, you producers and sign engineers, just have to put up with all our rubbish as artists and musicians. Oh, can I do it again? I can do it better next time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, back in the day, the, the artists were they had to be on point. Mm. 
because studio time was expensive, so the producers weren't going to tolerate you wasting their time. So if you go in there and you're making a mistake, they said, you know what, come back tomorrow. <laughs> and you might never get that chance to get back in the studio again. I was going to say, would you even get a second chance? Because wouldn't they all talk to the few people that there are? Wouldn't they talk to each other? Nah, I had my man in the studio the other day. Don't even bother with him. Would it be like that? Competition was very steep. Mm. I've been to studios where someone's like sang for about 10 seconds and I said, nah, 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 come back tomorrow. 10 seconds? You know, you're talking about come back tomorrow, it's like you've just blown your chance. Your once in a lifetime chance? No. Why do you think it is that um, scenes as reggae kind of derived from such a small island in the Caribbean? Why do you think it's become so popular throughout the world? And what really, I think, made reggae that is the message in the music and people can relate to the message. And, you know, back in the like 60s, 70s, coming up, what the reggae artists were talking about is things that we're seeing now and people can relate to it. Just the message in the music, I think, is what actually made it popular worldwide. Well, can you give us any examples of any artists that um, have not received the recognition they deserve and, you know, maybe other artists have come up and you're like, well, yeah, their works were good, but everybody doesn't know about so-and-so and and what they did changed the course of reggae or changed um, something political that was going on in Jamaica at the time or, you know, sometimes people do some great works and they get forgotten. It's all to do with what kind of financial backing you've got behind you to kind of push your music to the next level. Mm. And there, there's so many artists who have written so many good songs. A lot of their, their, their songs have been re-recorded by other artists. A lot of them, Dennis Brown songs he, he didn't write. What used to happen was an artist would write a song and the producer would say, that's a good song, but he's got his particular artist that he's working with. So what he'd do, He'd record that artist's song and then he'd get another artist, his artist that he's really working with, to re-record the song. Mm. And that's happened with quite a few songs that were out. Um, the, the the artist who actually made it popular isn't the one who wrote it. It was somebody else who, who recorded it and the producers just got another name to re-record it and that song is the popular one everyone knows, but they didn't really write the song. So speaking of going back to the point that we said earlier about business, um, you know, these, whether they be soul artists or whether they be actual reggae artists that were the songwriters of these reggae hits, um, did they receive any of the monies that they were due for writing those songs or did they, you know, fall victim to, you know, the same things that happened with other genres, for example, soul music? Did they actually get the money that they deserved? Again... It's only now you've got like technology and you've got internet where you can find that information. A lot of the artists didn't have that, um, were, didn't have that information. They didn't understand about PRS, NCPS. They didn't understand about publishing, about royalties. So a lot of them didn't receive. And a lot of the producers, how it used to work, you'd get a one-off payment to record a song, and that's it. You've recorded that song, and then the producers would claim your all your royalties for you. So a lot of them just got like a, a one-off payment and that was it. A lot of the artists who, how they actually made their money afterwards, because they didn't receive any money for these songs that they recorded. But because these songs became so popular, they toured, got tours after the, um, the back of the songs and they made their money out of touring. 
but the actual their publishing and their PRSM CPS money, they didn't receive anything from that because the producers actually credited themselves to writing the music and took all that um, the, their publishing for it. And where would you say um, reggae started off? Obviously, it was popular in Jamaica, but where would you say reggae started off being really popular when it first kind of came about? The, the, the biggest place outside of Jamaica, really, for reggae was the UK. And then it started to spread, but UK was what, like a, the biggest market for reggae outside of um, Jamaica. And why do you think that is? Well, there was a lot of um, immigrants that came to the UK from um, Jamaica. So a lot of the the music that was being recorded was like sent over here, distributed over here. And then it started to spread to other countries, but because it had a large uh, like Jamaican population over in the UK. And you think that's why the UK kind of evolved its own sound? Yeah, they, they, you know, they, that's how Lover's Rock came through. Lover's Rock was more of a UK... Um, kind of version of reggae, which is more love songs. Love is what kind of came through in the UK. When the immigrants came here, you didn't really have clubs and that that you could go to. So everybody used to keep a party in their house. <laughs> well, not everyone. People kept parties in their house and they used to call them blues. So Lover's Rock was kind of a music that you could dance to with a, with a woman, so they kind of slowed down the pace, and it was more about you then dancing with a woman, and it, Lover's Rock. So and that kind of evolved in the um, the UK. Okay, so basically you guys came up with a plan to to get your to get your wicked ways with some some women. Then is that what the whole right, plan it wasn't was? really getting your wicked ways, but you know you couldn't be dancing to these fast songs, so you had to slow down the music, and that's how they came up with the Lover's Rock. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe you. <laughs> I said to you before the interview, I need to have you back on here because you've worked with so many different people and I know you've got so many different stories. Um, we're always talking about reggae. But um, can you share any any stories that have kind of stuck in your mind, whether you might be on tour or you might have been in a studio with someone. Was there, You don't have to name the artist, but was there any times when an artist was really hard work, and don't say me, um, in the studio? <laughs> when I started off, I started off at a young age listening to music on the radio, and I used to save up my little money and buy my little records. Mm. And I had, they used to have a um, magazine called the Black Echoes magazine. I used to buy the Black Echoes every week, and I used to cut out the pictures of the artists and stick them on my wall. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I got in, like, in my late teens, I started to meet a lot of the artists, I started to work with them. And to tell you the truth, a lot of them weren't very nice people. <laughs> so a lot of the pictures I had on my wall, I had to start taking them down one by one because no. I, I got to meet them. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, not, there were, but there was a lot of good people as well and a lot of people that kind of, you know, took to me as a little young young guy trying to get into the music and she got mine that was one of the um the main people that kind of, you know. But I met him at a young age and he, he used to always come over and he used to always give me a track to mix. Not that he could have got anybody he wanted to do it, but he said, No, as a little young young youth trying, he said, You'll mix this tune for me. Um so obviously with the, the year we've had so far, um 
what do you where do you think reggae stands on the platform moving forward do you think it can survive in a world with all this noise all these you know bright light shiny things going on and all of the chaos that's going on at the moment or do you think it's more important than ever because of what's going on in the world at the moment well not even what's because reggae reggae's kind of stood its kind of test of time so far and I don't think what's going on is really going to change it. The world itself might change. The message in the music might change slightly, but I don't think it's really going to make that much of a difference. Okay, and who who are the artists that you're excited about for this year? This year, there's a lot of new... Because for a little while it's been a, a, the dancehall artist and the lyrical content has been, you know, it's like badness, I'm a bad man and or slap tunes. Where there's always been slap music and there's always been badness music in in reggae going back to the, the 60s. But just that the younger generation kind of took it to another level. But then you've got these new, new artists coming up who are kind of bringing back more of the message and they tried to bring it back to the more authentic reggae. So you got um, artists now like Chronics, um, Protege, and we got Jesse Royal, Kabaka Pyramid, artists like um, Ibermar, um, coming up, you got um, Dre Island, um, then you got the, the young female artists coming up, Savannah, Leela Aike, um, Jazzalise, you got Naomi Cohen, um, Carlin Davis's daughter, doing stuff. Um, you know, they're like the new generation of reggae. So you feel you feel quite um, secure in the fact that they can take on the gauntlet and and keep things moving in the way that that reggae was intended. Well, they've just got to put out the music and see how it goes in it. So. And they just got to keep putting out music. Mm. Chronics has kind of changed, changed things back a little bit with, you know, the stuff that he's doing, Protege as well. So, because it was the dancehall thing, it was just mainly dancehall, dancehall, and we wasn't really seeing no young artists, reggae artists really coming up like that. And then you had these young artists now that are coming up doing more kind of roots music, more message music, not no gun music and badness music and slack songs. So do you feel like he's kind of paved the way for the next generation of reggae artists to keep, you know, he's kind of started things off? Yeah, because, you know, the, the younger youth can relate to them because they have the same age group. So if they're hearing these artists doing the, the right message, the younger generation will take that on. So hopefully it will bring a new wave of, art, of artists and coming up, you know, with a, a new message. Because the world is changing, so you need the young, younger generation carrying on the, the right kind of message.
I know this is a really, really, really hard question um, to finish off. Who are your all-time, let's go for five top reggae artists? Well, there's just so many different artists that I like. Yeah, you're not going to cop out on this one. you gotta, you got to give me some. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to try to think which artists. Because there's just so, so, so many different artists. Dennis Brown, definitely one. Sugar Minot. Is another one. So many songs, so many artists. Producer. You know, with, with so many artists, because I've worked with so many people and there's so many of their songs that I admire them for. So to, to pick out, I couldn't pick out five favorites because there's, 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 I got so many favorite artists and favorite songs. You know, there's so many of them, Freddie McGregor, Sugar Minot, Dennis Brown, you know, Alton Ellis, John Oat, from the Scatter era, and Laurie Leakin, Derek Morgan, Prince Buster, you know, the Roots era. You know I mean? You've got artists like Fred Lux, Rod Taylor, artists like Michael Prophet. Groups like the Vice Rise, Wheeling Stones, <laughs> there's just so many. <laughs> okay, okay, all right, I'll let you off, I'll let you off. But um, like I said earlier, I definitely want to get you back on so we can do it, an in-depth interview with you and your story because it's a very interesting one. Um, and I've learned a lot from you, um, you mentoring me through reggae and through music. So I would love to have you back on um, to do that at a later date. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom. I know we only got a okay. little, little, little it's slither of it. time in it because to do the history of reggae, you'd have to have weeks coming because there's so many things. Mm. And, you know, we've gone through what we haven't really gone through a lot of the history. We've just gone through little, little pinpoints of it. But um, there's just so much to it and so in-depth Exactly. Things that we could we could go into, but it would take hours and hours and hours. Wow, well, maybe if everybody loves it off, maybe we can do a whole series or something. Um, maybe mm. we'll see what we can do. We'll see what people are saying, and uh, we'll yeah. come back. But um, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Reggae Uprising podcast, a Black History Month special, the history of reggae. I'm going to leave you with the sounds of Zamunda, Roots Reggae. I hope you have a wonderful week. Make sure you're back here on Wednesday for another Black History Month special episode. Don't forget to check out my other Black History Month special shows. As always, blessed love. Jump and pace me while wine and bubble me waist Give me a little rock steady Rub me palm while I steady my day 
Come to the cool and deadly, old time medley The fans ready, the fans ready for Rootstrager You know that people want some more Rootstrager, the people dying for the cure Rootstrager you know that people want some more Roots again Roots again Yeah Mama you'd growing up Reggae been a great friend of mine Together we'll go to the spring Together we'll hear the king But from what they are Me don't know what I want Let them no remember Say I just so reggae you know that people want some more Roots again The people dying for the cure Roots again You know that people want some more Roots again Roots again Big up a morning It's a God let them sprung The fans them call me Says I'm gonna love for your son, yeah. I tell it to the young, and I tell it to the old. That reggae music is like food to our soul. Roots again, you know that people want some more. Roots again, the people dying for the cure. Roots again. You know the people want some more Roots again Roots again Yeah, 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 yeah